0: John chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. You do not believe. We'll begin at verse 1 and we'll read verses 1 to 15 for the context. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have indeed revealed yourself to us, You have revealed yourself, testified of the truth of the gospel by condescending and sending your servants, the prophets, the apostles, and even the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending them into the world and revealing your word to us. This word of life, the word of truth, the word of faith, the word that produces salvation in us. Father, without this knowledge, we would indeed be lost. But thank you that you have revealed yourself in this way and that we hold in our hands the the veritable word of God, not the word of men, but that which has come from God by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Father, that our faith will increase, that you will show us even more what confidence we should have in these words and enable us, Father, to transform our thinking, our values, and even, even more in our life, to walk in your ways, to be faithful to you and observe all your commandments. Grant this to us, Father, as we seek to understand this portion of Scripture. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen. In our passage, Jesus, our Lord, continues his dialogue with Nicodemus and Jesus has made it clear to Nicodemus what he must have. He must have a, a new birth in order for him to have eternal life, to come into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus does not understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't comprehend what our Lord is saying to him, teaching him, even though he is one of the supreme teachers in the land of Israel, if not the highest teacher in the land of Israel. He should understand these things, but he does not. Well, our Lord continues this dialogue in verses 11 to 13 to explain more to Nicodemus what he must understand, what he must comprehend, and confronts him with the fact that he, in fact, does have the truth delivered to him, It's that he doesn't believe it. He does not want to believe it. That is what is happening in his life. And this truth that has been delivered to him is not truth from the wilderness. It's not truth from a cave. It's not truth from an obscure preacher here or there in a sense of a a preacher of ill repute. That the truth that's been delivered to him has come from heaven. And if it has come from heaven, all the more Nicodemus is guilty and culpable of not receiving it, not believing it. This is the amazing thing about what's happening here, that it is the ultimate truth, the truth that has come from heaven, and yet he doesn't believe it. He doesn't have to go out of his way to ascend into heaven or to descend or to go to the other side of the sea To go here or there, a far distance, it's right there, it's accessible to him, it has been accessible to previous generations in his own nation, and even to him now, and yet he doesn't believe. This is the stunning part about this dialogue. All of this is stunning, but at this point, this is the stunning part of our passage here in verses 11 to 13. Let's unpack it some more. In verse 11, Christ is introducing these statements with another truly, truly statement. This is when Jesus is especially trying to draw attention to what he says. He does not have to say truly, truly. He, all, all he has to do is simply say, I say to you, or just I am, uh, uh, just announce whatever he needs to say. But instead of just announcing what he has to say, he says, I say to you, drawing attention to who he is the Son of Man and the Son of God who has descended from heaven and come into the world to preach the gospel. Further, he adds a truly to it. He adds a truly so that the hearer, Nicodemus, and all of us might understand that we really should consider what Jesus says to be the truth. But not just once, but twice. He reiterates the truthfulness of what he announces. And when Jesus is speaking, we should listen. When we consider who he is, we should listen. And especially when he's claiming for himself to be speaking the truth in whatever he says. Whatever the subject, whatever the matter, when he speaks, it is true. And this he is saying to someone, Nicodemus, who should already know the truth. Further, verse 11 He says a couple of times, you'll see and notice in verse 11, we speak, we know, we have seen. You do not receive our witness. He speaks in the plural. He speaks in the plural, and it's uncertain exactly what he means. It may be one or the other, or in fact, even both. There's one view that says that when he says we speak, he means the prophets and the apostles along with him. Another view will say that he's speaking of the Father and the Spirit Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, I think that it's best to take it as all of the above because the Father and the Spirit speak through the prophets and the apostles. So if the prophets are speaking, it's the Father who's speaking and the Holy Spirit who are speaking. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking, He doesn't speak in a vacuum. He doesn't come to every person individually with an audible voice to announce the Word of God. He speaks through prophets and apostles and, and through the, this written Word. This is how He speaks. Let's look at what He um, means by this and reiterate this point. For example, in John, John chapter 7, John chapter 7 and verse 16 John 7:16 Jesus therefore answered them and said My teaching is not mine but his who sent me If any man is willing to do his will he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak from Myself. He makes it clear that the teaching he delivers is not merely his. It does not originate in him as though he is independent of God. His point is that it is God, God the Father, who sent him into the world to preach the truth. So when Jesus speaks, he speaks with the Father's approval the Father's authority, and in fact, even the Father's words. John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and verse 26. John chapter 8, verse 26. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him." What Jesus speaks, he speaks from the Father. The Father sent him into the world to preach this. And even when he's in the world, the Father is with him. And everything he says and everything he does is pleasing to the Father. Well, what about the prophets and others? Let's And for that, let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Here, Jesus will tell us about all of the witnesses, all of the people that he is including in his statement when he says, we speak, we bear witness, verse 30. John chapter five, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. But the witness which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved." He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, For you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, who are the witnesses? Who are the ones who have spoken time and again to the people? In verse 30, 30 to 32, it is the Father, the Father who sent him and who is bearing witness through the Son. In verses 33 to 35, it is John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist who was the last and the greatest of all the prophets. So John the Baptist is a witness testifying to the truth of the gospel. And then in verses 30, in verse 36, verse 36, it is the miracles of Christ. The miracles of Christ are also a testimony, which is one of the testimonies that Nicodemus already believed, but not far enough. He believed that the miracles came from God, God the Father, but he didn't believe beyond that. Another source is repeated in verses 37 to 38, which is the Father himself. We cannot see the Father. We cannot hear the Father. He tells them, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But if you believe Jesus, you will believe the Father. When Jesus speaks, the Father speaks. And then in verses 39 to 47, he says that the witness of the scriptures is there for us. The Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. In the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, these are witnesses. They are bearing witness to the truthfulness of the gospel of Christ. The Old Testament preaches the gospel of Christ and throughout from Genesis to Malachi. The scriptures are bearing witness and he should pay attention to them. And even Moses. He mentions Moses in verse 45, 45 to 47, Moses is mentioned because it was a proclivity of the Jewish people to put their hope in Moses, to think that they were on Moses' side, that they would not and could not be distracting or detracting from the ways of Moses, they were always with Moses, Moses was their mentor, Moses was their master, Moses was their supreme first written prophet. That's the way they looked at Moses. But Moses himself witnesses or testifies against them. And in that way, all of these have been speaking to them. In this way, all of these testimonies are against the people and against Nicodemus. In verse 11 in John 3, 11, he says, We speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Christ means we have given to you, Nicodemus, many, many testimonies, many, many witnesses over the centuries in the scriptures personally. We have done so, and you refuse to listen. You refuse to believe you do do not receive our witness. And the gravity of their rejection of this witness is indicated by this word witness, bear witness, or testimony. Wherein does a witness present his case? Where do those who convey their testimonies present their case? In a court of law. And in a court of law, They are bound to swear an oath that they will tell the truth and nothing but the truth. This happens everywhere throughout time in every nation. When one is in the courtroom, he must tell the truth. He swears to tell the truth. He's under oath to tell the truth on penalty of perjury. And the fine or the penalty for perjury is more severe than telling a lie to your friend When you're at the restaurant or when you're here and there in the workplace, there's a difference because there is a greater penalty. Well, in this case, Jesus is saying that all of these witnesses are doing so because they have come as those sworn by God to speak the truth to the people, to write the truth to the people, to demonstrate the truth to the people. And then if they are rejected, then all the more, all the more. If the judge or any others in the courtroom do not listen to the witnesses telling the truth, it's not going to be good for them. It's going to be miserable for them and also miserable for those who are speaking their testimony. It doesn't help the situation. It harms the situation. And that's what Nicodemus is doing. He refuses to receive the truth of the testimony born amply, abundantly, through many generations, through many witnesses, and even in front of his own eyes. He refuses. Verse 12, verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is confronting Nicodemus' refusal to even make a connection. He's not able to make a connection between the earthly and the heavenly. He's not able to understand the difference or the comparison between that which he can see and that which he cannot see. From the physical or the tangible to the intangible, the non-physical, he can't tell the difference or he cannot make the connection. He does not know how to to compare from the lesser to the greater, to understand an an illustration in order to convey or in order to receive the truth conveyed by the use of an earthly illustration. In verse 5, he used water to explain the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, he spoke of that which is born of the flesh, human birth. And what that produces. And then in verse 8, he spoke of the wind. He used the wind as a physical example. At least the implications of what the wind can do and does do are seen in physical ways. When the trees are blown and other things happen, when the wind is working, you can at least see that the wind is doing something. So these physical explanations of water of birth and of wind they could not be used in Nicodemus case for Nicodemus to understand heavenly things that's how blind he was that's how stony hearted he was he could not make the connection and this is not this is not an uncommon thing this is a common thing this happens all the time and in many, many places. People do not understand spiritual truths when you give them earthly examples. Sometimes they do, but many times they do not. We saw before that even in John chapter 4, Jesus used water to illustrate the fact that the woman of Samaria needed the water of eternal life, that she needed Christ and the Holy Spirit. Remember, she did not understand what he was talking about. It took her a while to figure it out. We also know from John chapters 7 and 19 that Nicodemus eventually figured it out, but he did not at the time. But this is a common experience that many people do not understand the truths of the, gospels, uh, of the gospel no matter how many illustrations you use, how many examples you use of common life, daily life, it it doesn't matter. They won't understand. Well, then that begs the question, well, how are they going to understand? If they don't understand, how will they understand? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 will answer that question. How is it that people will indeed understand? In chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, the Lord, through Moses, has been commanding the people to obey Him. Commanding them to obey Him. And He assumes that they're not going to obey and that they will be banished and exiled, set out or sent out of their land so that they are in misery and hardship wherever they go throughout the world. So He assumes they're not going to listen. He commands them to listen but they're not going to listen. Then the question is, how will they listen? Verse 6 answers that. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Do we love God Or do we have life first that changes our heart, that circumcises our heart? Or does our heart get circumcised first with the result that we love God and have eternal life? According to verse 6, the sequence of events is quite clear. Verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. So when he circumcises the heart, what is the result? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the greatest commandment. We are unable to obey, to perform the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and might, until God circumcises our heart. When he circumcises our heart, then we can love him with all of our heart and And so that's the sequence. Furthermore, it says in order that you may live. It's not as though we have a little bit of life in us, a little bit of eternal life in us. And we just need to tap into the rest of it by having faith and choosing God. That's not how it works. We have to first have our heart circumcised for the result to be that we have eternal life. This is what Jesus is te- teaching Nicodemus. You have to be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus, or you have to be born again, Nicodemus. This has to happen in order for you to enter the kingdom of God, in order for you to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. It must happen in this way. This is what you need, Nicodemus. This is the sequence of events. You have to understand it like that. But he won't understand it until God circumcises his heart. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. When Jesus illustrated numerous times spiritual truths, he used physical, earthly examples, such as the parable of the sower seed and soils. He used an earthly example to explain the preaching of the gospel and how the gospel does bear fruit or does not bear fruit. That's what he used. But the disciples are wondering, why do you speak this way? Why don't you just say in straightforward terms what you mean and what you want? Well, Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them In parables. Them means the multitudes. Why do you speak to the multitudes in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing... They do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Then the Lord uses Isaiah to say that Isaiah preached like this and taught this way too, and what Isaiah said in his day is also true in our day. But let's see again what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, To you, to the disciples, it has been granted. Granted by whom? By the Father. Just like Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It's been granted to you to know this, but to them, to the multitudes, God has not given them this circumcised heart to love him. Furthermore, verse 12, for whoever has to him shall more be given and he shall have an abundance. We who believe, we who have this circumcised heart, God will give us... Some at the beginning, some truth at the beginning, but he's going to give us even more and more truth and fruit. But whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Many people, they will understand a little bit, but even what little they understand, eventually all of that will be gone from them. It'll be taken away from them. It so happens in the case of Nicodemus, and the woman of Samaria, that they heard some truth and they received more and more truth and believed it, eventually believed it to the salvation of their souls. But in the case of many people, it does not happen that way, such as the rich young ruler. When he heard the truth, he walked away grieved, for he was one who owned much property and he did not want to give it up the rich young ruler. Others also receive the truth, hear the truth, but it is not enough for them. They walk away from it. And verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They see physically, but they don't see spiritually. They hear physically, but they don't don't hear spiritually. Nor do they understand what I'm talking about. And all this because of God. God is the one who causes one to understand and believe, or not to understand and not to believe. Verse 13 John 3 13. 3, 13 and no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. No one has ascended into heaven. By this, he means that no one ascends into heaven in order to hear the truth of the gospel to be saved. He's not talking about nobody ever going to heaven. He's talking about No one ascends to heaven in order to hear the truth, to be saved, to understand whatever they need for their salvation, forgiveness of sins. It's not as though you have to go to heaven to hear the gospel and believe it. It doesn't work like that. This is the same that we read from Deuteronomy 30 earlier. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. Moses told the people the same thing, the same truth. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. Moses told his own generation that you should not say, who's going to go up to heaven or who's going to go beyond the sea or into the sea or beyond the depths of the sea in order to hear the truth It's not a matter of going far up or far down to hear the truth because the truth is right here. It's accessible to you. I've given you access to it. You know exactly what you should believe. Let's see also from Romans 10 where the Apostle Paul quotes our passage from Deuteronomy 30 and he explains it in the way in which we are taking it. Romans chapter 10 verse 6 Romans 10:6 But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead But what does it say The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart he believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who who bring glad tidings of good things. The glad tidings of good things is the gospel, which he explained in verses 9 and 10. Believe that Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. And this applies to everybody in every place, Jew or Greek. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, this gospel is called in verses 6 to 8, a word of faith, It's the word of faith, which is accessible to us. We don't need to go up into heaven in order to hear it from Christ directly. Neither do we need to go to the place beyond the sea, that is to the abyss, to say, well, Christ, he descended into the abyss. Now we have to bring him up from the dead to hear it from his own mouth. If we don't hear it from Christ in Christ's own mouth, then we don't believe it. We're not going to believe it. He says, just as Moses said to believe this word of faith, we are preaching the same word of faith, the faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in him. So believe it. Believe in the testimony of all those who have proclaimed this word of faith. That's what Jesus means when he says to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven but then when he mentions he who descended from heaven now he's saying nicodemus you have the, this immense immense privilege of hearing the truth from the son of man himself from the one who descended from heaven came in human flesh You have this great privilege. You don't need this privilege because you should believe Moses and you should believe Isaiah and all the other prophets. You should believe them. You should have already believed what John the Baptist was preaching to you. You should have believed all of them. If you had believed, then you would know truly who I am and have the salvation of your soul. Eternal life, the kingdom of God would belong to you and you would be in the kingdom. This is what you would have had. In this case, he descended from heaven. Jesus himself came in human form. He left glory and all of the privileges he had, all of the enjoyments he had of heaven and came to this earth. He came in human form. He came in bodily form as the son of man meaning he has a nature like ours, yet without sin. He came just like that in human flesh, and he came to preach, he came to perform miracles, he came to be perfect, to live a perfect life all the way until his last breath. He lived perfectly on our behalf if we believe in him. The Son of Man descended from heaven. Yes, he did, and he spoke the words of the Father. The Son of Man came, and he performed the works of the Father. The Son of Man came, and he was obedient to the Father until his very death. So why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? This is the great enigma. The great enigma. When people think, if they have a superficial reading of the Bible or knowledge of the Bible, People think that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, that there were thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, if not more, people who believed in him, and he had a great and wonderful, immense, tremendous movement of God to convert many, many people. However, that's not the case. Many people were intrigued by him. Many people followed him, In some way, but they were not real believers. They were superficial believers, superficial disciples. Nicodemus has the potential of being one of those. Everybody has, or at the time, had that potential of being one of those. They think, they thought, well, if Christ will just come and speak to us personally, then we'll believe. If Christ comes and I see him face to face, if I could just touch him, then I would believe. That's not how it works. It didn't work immediately with Nicodemus that way. And it didn't work with the crowds this way. When Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, he had 12 disciples, correct? One of them betrayed him and the other 11, upon his arrest, they all fled. So he was left alone, even among the 11 who did, did truly believe in him. He was left alone. And how about after they reassembled and waited for the resurrection, how many were there? There were 11 waiting and seeing. There were first two and then there were 11 on, in, in different incidents over a period of 40 days. And at one time, yes, he appeared to more than 500 brethren. 1 Corinthians 15. But where were they all? Where were all the rest of them? Where were the tens of thousands of people when Jesus preached? Jesus descended from heaven. Yes, he did so to accomplish our salvation. But that's no guarantee that people will believe. No guarantee. Remember, Nicodemus is told, in verse 10, he does not understand. In verse 11, that he does not receive the witness. And in verse 12, you do not believe. He's an example of someone who at this moment did not, but eventually will. But there are others who had Jesus there face to face, even within this book of John, that did not believe. Let's look, for example, in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. There are several of these kinds of examples in this book where John is making a point to demonstrate this for for us. John chapter 8. After Jesus had said that he has to be lifted up, Verse 30, John 8, 30. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him. The group in verse 31 is the same in verse 30. Many came to believe in him. That sounds like the end of John chapter 2. When they saw his miracles, many came to believe in him, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. So verse 31, Jesus says to those who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you abide, if you remain in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Why does he say that? Because he knows they're not all going to abide in him. They're not going to remain in him, stay in him, stay believing in him. They're not going to do that. And therefore, they're going to demonstrate that they're not truly his disciples. If they stick with him, then they truly believe in him. If they don't stick with him, then they don't truly believe in him. Well, notice, we'll see by the end of this chapter, that these same people, verse 31, who had believed him, don't really believe in him. They don't abide. They don't remain in him. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? They think they are free and not a slave to anyone, not even themselves. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He's accusing them of being slaves of sin, not free from slavery to sin. 37. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, physically his offspring, yet you seek to kill me. Who's seeking to kill him? The ones that believed in him in verse 31. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. It has not borne any fruit in their heart. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Two different fathers. Jesus has a father and they have a father. He's implying something that's going to be brought up later. 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. When they say Abraham is our father, do you know what they are implying? They are implying that Jesus is not a descendant of Abraham In the rightful way. Because in verse 46. uh, Verse. uh, Not 46. In verse 41. We were not born of fornication. We were not born of fornication. One of the main. Explanations. Or excuses the Jews had. The unbelieving Jews had. Which becomes absolutely clear. After the time of the apostles. The Jews said that Jesus was born through an illegitimate relationship between a Roman soldier and Mary, a Roman soldier and Mary. So that's what they are implying right here. They say Abraham is our physical father, but Abraham's not your physical father because your physical father is a Roman soldier, not not even a Jewish soldier, a Roman soldier. But verse 39, Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, and this Abraham did not do. Abraham, if you are his physical children, then why aren't you also his spiritual children? Why don't you live and believe the way Abraham did? I'm telling you what God told me. I told Abraham what God told me to tell him. And Abraham believed. So verse 41. You are doing the deeds, the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now they get it. Now they say, No, no, okay. We know what you're talking about now. Our God is our father. And Abraham is our physical father. 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. If God, the father, were their father, spiritually speaking, you would love me. Verse 42, For I proceeded forth and have come from God, I came from God, and if you truly did believe in God the Father, you would believe in what I say. 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You don't understand, just like Nicodemus, you don't understand because you can't understand. You cannot hear my word. Because of what? 44, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. They can't understand because... The devil is their father and the devil always lies. The devil is their father, not God the father. And because Jesus preaches the truth, they don't believe. Now, did they believe truly in verse 31? No, because categorically, Jesus says in verse 45, you do not believe me. They don't believe Then 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. You can't convict me of sin. You you don't believe me. I'm telling you the truth. And you don't believe the truth. You don't hear the words of God because you're not of God. If you were of God, you would hear and receive, believe these words of God. Clearly, Jesus is saying, You are of the devil, you don't believe, you're not of God. Well, then they tighten the screws on him. They turn up the heat. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now they call him, accuse him of being a Samaritan. And a demon. He's a devil. Jesus is a devil, they're saying. Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. They don't let up. They insist that he is demon-possessed. Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They insist he is demon-possessed. They say everybody else died that we respect. How is it that you say, If you believe in me, you're not going to die? Well, he's talking about eternal life. How is it that they don't understand eternal life? And then they say, you're not greater than Abraham. Who are you? Was Jesus unclear as to who he was? No. Yet they persist in saying, who are you? Whom do you make yourself out to be? He answers. Fifty-four, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Fifty-four, Jesus asserts that he is glorifying the Father the one that they say is their God. But Jesus says, you don't know that God that you claim to know. You don't know him. I know him, but if I were to say, I don't know this God, then I would be a liar like you. So he's accusing them of being liars. Fifty-six. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Here, they literally are trying to put him to death. He announces clearly who he is and they literally want to put him to death. These are the ones that are said in verse 31 to have believed in Christ. They didn't truly believe in Christ. The point of this passage is to illustrate just like Nicodemus. In Nicodemus case, eventually he did believe with this personal ministry of Christ. But the crowds of the Jews and especially the Jewish leaders, the Jewish teachers, they did not believe and they wanted to put Jesus to death. Eventually they do. It does not work to have a superficial faith. We must have a true faith in the Son of God. And we cannot construct We cannot construct these paradigms, impossible paradigms, of saying, well, if God would just appear to me, if Jesus would just appear to me, if God would just do a miracle for me, if God would just be this way or that way, then I will believe. It doesn't happen like that. We must believe in the testimonies that God has given to us throughout the ages and throughout the pages of the Holy Bible. This is what we must believe. Let's believe in Jesus Christ and call others to believe in Jesus Christ through the scriptures, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the powerful word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.